sports interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. We have an epic crossover for you today as I have the two hosts of Locked On Canadians, the top Montreal Canadiens podcast in my mind, and let's say by the stats as well. Uh, great game, honestly, to be able to have things to talk about uh, from the Montreal Canadiens in this one. Obviously, they lost to the Vegas Golden Knights, but that top line with Suzuki, Doc, and Caulfield continues to be ridiculous. The power play struck again. Weird to say that, but it's happening. And then we've got uh, we got to talk about Joel Edmondson, who, you know, by the eye test, I think in some ways has looked really strong since his return. And in other ways, obviously tonight, especially not so much. So we'll dig into that. We got to talk about the whole Josh Anderson charge into uh, Petrangelo's back who turned at the last second, but it's still a charge. So we'll see if Josh is going to sit a few games for that. And I also want to talk about this whole Mitchell Miller thing, because I don't think we can ignore it. I don't think anybody should be ignoring it. So we're going to talk about that. And more, but first, want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction Canada Sportsbook. Football continues, World Series is ongoing, and that hockey season that we talk about every single day is well underway. Bet pregame live in play or on one of our many prop bets. In fact, Sports Interaction just dropped a prop bet today whether or not Cole Caulfield will score 50 goals. If you take that he will, it is a over six times payout. And I got to say, he's on pace for 50 in 82 under Marty St. Louis. So uh, that's, I mean, for six times your money, that's pretty decent bet. 50 is a lot of goals, but six times your money is not bad. Made for Canadians by Canadian sports interaction makes it easy to deposit play and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. That's sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Ontario only. Please play responsibly. All right. If you're here, I got to tell you, before I introduce our guests, please share the show, like the stream, help us grow. Remember, you're part of the stream, right? You're part of the show. We interact with our audience here. We've got all of our regulars that show up every show. So uh, send it out on your social media right now. Let's get as many people in here watching as we possibly can. Get all that hype for our amazing guests who I will introduce right now. Scott Matla and Laura Saba. How are you doing, my friends? I... <laughs> I, it's been it's been a roller coaster couple of days between the Rocket and the Hazard, where I've just been that Ralph Wiggum gif of I'm happy and angry several games in a row now at this point. But uh, in terms of how things are supposed to be going for the Canadians this year, uh, they're not in dead last because the Ottawa Senators are, which uh, just kind of warms my heart a little bit on this Saturday night. Got to dig at the Senators. Laura, <laughs> it was right there. Come on. They gave up a game winning goal to Zach McEwen. Come on. Who? Exactly. So I don't know if I'm on as much of a roller coaster as Scott is. I've just been really enjoying the balance of highs and lows that the Canadians have because I keep thinking to this time last year and everything in comparison is better. Truly everything. There's more leadership. There's more ownership, there's more inspiration, there's more promise. Everything seems better. And obviously, what we are seeing is a team in transition. It's in a rebuild. It's The rebuild seems to be going sort of according to plan. I think generally you would expect more abysmal years in a row. I think, though, that what they're doing is they're trying to play the young people. And it's interesting because we got... Uh, on our Twitter feed, somebody was asking, you know, why do they keep playing the Hoffmans, the Dodonovs, the, you know, those kinds of players over the young guys? And I think that they, the Canadians are trying to strike a balance, right? I think they want to play the young people as much as possible, but they've got these people that they don't want to lose for nothing. They've got assets that they want to trade in for assets. So it's going mostly according to plan. You're seeing a lot of flashes from the young people. You're seeing a lot in a lot of cases, in a lot of cases, they're more advanced than you would expect them to be. I'm, and I'm talking specifically about Guli. So I think this far into the season, there has been there has been a lot more balance to the season and there has been a lot more positivity to the season than I expected. Uh, and at the same time, the game against the Vegas Golden Knights was a little bit overdramatic even for me. Yeah, it was it was pretty wild uh, between the, the bad hits and 
the lead changes and you know looking like the game was lost out of nowhere in the third period and then the Canadians clawing their way back into it 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 was it was a good game i mean it's fun it's things like that are are fun in in a season like this i will say a great comment here from uh, noel saying uh, locked on game over his favorite crossover like when the avengers and x men team up i love it <laughs> absolutely love it uh so let's kind of like organize the show a little bit uh, on the fly here let's talk about the whole top line for a minute because there's not really much else pause like that we can say about this top line. I feel like we'll get through it pretty quickly because they are doing everything possible to get this team to win. They are just fantastic. Like Kirby Doc, playmaking wizard tonight, three primary assists. All of them are flying. Nick Suzuki is just doing his badass motherfucker routine. He reminds me of last year against Edmonton when he just like ran their show for a whole game. He was a demon for Vegas tonight, and Vegas gave him away. That's wild. Nick Suzuki is on one of those things where his goals tonight remind me, because it's like he circled back into the zone. It reminds me of arena football when a dude gets a running start as a wide receiver, and he just comes in the zone, gets the feed from Doc, and just buries one by him. And we've known Nick Suzuki to be this slick playmaker. Cole Caulfield's the shooter. Cole Caulfield's the shooter. Everything tonight, Caulfield's ability to shoot and yeah, he scored a goal again because Cole Caulfield does that. Uh, it, it allows Suzuki so much more space to operate out there. And that Doc is thriving with everyone paying so much attention to Caulfield. Doc and Suzuki being given space is like the worst thing you could possibly do for either of them. And yeah, we thought Doc might be an answer as a top six center, but if he's clicking as the winger on that top line, don't don't change a damn thing at this point. Because until another prospect or someone else is there, you let them ride because Kirby Doc looks the best we've ever seen him. And Chicago also kind of just gave him away and giving away a young first round pick to the Canadians has never, ever blown up in Chicago's face ever in the last five to six years. Like I have to laugh a little bit because there was a bunch of Chicago fans that swore up and down to me all summer long that Kirby Doc was terrible. And, you know, he couldn't win a face-off, which he still can't really win a face-off. But he was terrible, just like a uh, didn't try, not talented. And I look at him now and I'm like, this guy from the start of the season has been an absolute possession beast. And now that he's with guys who produce offensively, he is part of that every single shift he's not a passenger he's a direct influencer of how much offense they're producing both Caulfield and Suzuki I think have been significantly better since Doc joined that line so I kind of remember the same thing happening with Phil Deneau where they swore up and down guy can't shoot doesn't go to the scoring areas can't pass and all of a sudden he comes to Montreal and I believe he was like top five in primary assists for three years so uh Chicago, you want to make any more trades? <laughs> I mean, if they no, because they gave Alex to bring Cat away for nothing too. So like, mm-hmm. that do they have anyone left worth? For. Among all of the unforgivable things, and there have been very, very many on the list. I would like to add, maybe it's a little bit lower on the list than some of the other things they've done, but I think giving away Alex to bring it for basically nothing to the Ottawa Senators—that to me is an egregious, egregious crime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a rough one. I mean, I guess we'll see in, in five years if those picks that Chicago made in the first round this year pan out, because they did get a couple reasonably high picks for those players. But at the moment, it is kind of funny that you look at that lineup and they look like at the best 31st best team, 31st best team in the league this year, right? And yet they're winning relatively regularly right now so they're kind of in the position that the canadians are in in that uh, their fans are freaking out that they might not have the best lottery odds only the canadians have like good players who are doing good things for them like young players developing and the blackhawks are just there it's a weird one <laughs> and they've got albatross contracts too right you can just say yeah. his name it's seth jones you can just say his name after all like it's okay <laughs> like 
Like, who's playing goalie for the Blackhawks this year? Because I honestly don't know. And I know this is, is like about the Habs Golden Knights game, but I'm very curious that I don't know anyone besides Kane, Taze, and Jones playing for Chicago this season right now. Like, it's, it's literally, hey, do you remember some guys, but current players? It's Arvid Soderblom, who's been really good this year, Alex Stalock, and they're also carrying Dylan Wells. So. I, That's a made-up person. Yeah, there's two people that I haven't heard of, and Alex Stalock, who is an AHL goaltender, like as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but, hey, it's working for them right now. It's, get as many wins as they can so they're out of the Canadians' position and uh, they don't win the lottery. But, uh, yeah, so about this top line, I don't know what else we can ask from them as, as like people watching the game, fans of the Canadians. They are pretty much everything that you could possibly want right now. It- I would I would definitely agree with that. The one thing that I have questions about, to be honest, is they traded for Kirby Duck, assuming that he would be the second or third line center, which at the time was a very reasonable goal. Now, does this create the same center depth issue that we had, or does this mean there's more incentive to keep Christian Dvorak on, on this team? I don't think there is, because I think... We saw how good Owen Beck was in training camp and in preseason. I wouldn't be shocked if he makes the team like next year. And there's also like Mishar who could play center. We don't know if he'll go to wing when he makes the pros and he's ripping up the OHL as well. And then there's whoever the Canadians are going to get this year in the draft, right? Where if things go their way, they could be walking away with Fantilli or even Connor Bedard. And that kind of ends all of the center conversation for the next decade, right? So it's one of those things. I know there's some people who are freaking out about Doc not being a center and maybe that not being where he fits long term. But I think when you look at Kent Hughes's track record of acquiring centers in just under a year as GM, it seems like he's just not afraid to move things around and make some risky plays to get that center that he needs. He will actually shit or get off the pot. Yep. He won't say trades are hard and then sign six fourth liners and several of them play in the top six. I, I and this is not to, you know, crap on Mark Bergevin, but like I look at Kent Hughes saying that these are things that needs to be done. And he's gone out and he's done, he's put his neck out there. You know, Uri Slavkovsky was a risk. Trading for Kirby Doc was a risk, but he put his neck out there to do that because he actually asked people in his staff who know these things. Should we do this? Yeah, like trading for Sean Monaghan was a risk, and Sean Monaghan has been an absolutely phenomenal ad. Yeah, the points slowed down a little after the start of the season, but Sean Monaghan's playing really good hockey out there. Looking, Claiming Jonathan Kovacevic off waivers, not as much of a risk out of the lineup tonight, but everything he's done has kind of paid off in his favor. And the only thing he hasn't really been able to do because of likely their contract size is move a Yol Armia, move a Mike Hoffman, which is not a snap your fingers and it's done thing with the yeah. current cap situation. And like you said, I have faith that if, you know, it comes their way that there's another center or something else that's going to happen. Oh, he's going to go do that in a heartbeat. It'll get done. And I'm, it sucks. I'm kind of tired of watching Mike Hoffman, Mike Hoffman it up, but they're not supposed to win games. It's fine. If they play every game like this and all the young guys score and look good and it's exciting and I'm not bored to tears, Mike Hoffman can keep Mike Hoffman it up. Mike, please unblock me on Twitter. Um, I apologize for like 17% of the things I might have said at some point or another. Uh, what are you going to do? I didn't even know he had Twitter. He blocked like all of Hab's Twitter last week. You know, you know what? I actually I don't blame him because I would I probably would too. He didn't block me. <laughs> so he hasn't blocked me yet. Maybe I'll reach out to him and just be like, hey, just so you know, everything we say, it's not that serious. It's not, it's not, uh, we're not trying to kill you as a person or anything. But I will say, when he took that uh, attempted one timer from below the goal line tonight, such a Mike Hoffman play. Like, no one I else almost would try bad. something like that. Like, I don't, I don't know if he was trying to do a one time pass into the slot, but it looked like he was trying to wind up for a one timer behind the net. And, uh, doesn't usually score when you do that. I feel bad for him. Like, I do too. It, it's like he's trying. Like He is getting chances to start this game. You pointed out on Twitter he had chances, but it's like, man, 
when you're when you're in that hole, and we've seen it with Jonathan Drouin, where you're trying anything you can to get off the Schneid, it, it's brutal. Like I feel bad. Like is some of the criticism warranted? Absolutely. Do I feel a little bit bad that it's just like this might be the worst like eighteen months of his entire professional career? Yeah, probably. Like that's that's tough for a guy who's used to scoring goals in his sleep at this point. Yeah, it, like. How do you reconcile that when you're a six-time, like a six-season straight 20-goal scorer? Like, even last year, he scored 15. I don't think he can hit, like, the way things are going for him, 15 sounds astonishing right now. Yeah, it, he has, what, one on the season? Like, I, I... Maybe And the thing is, I know this because this is the way things always go for the Habs, and Laura and I have talked about this, is... He's going to get traded immediately, catch on with another team with a more functional power play, and everyone's going to go, why didn't that work? And it's like, well, he plays bottom six minutes, stands in one spot on the power play that isn't the point, and scores goals. Yeah. That's how it is. <laughs> and that's the thing. For a deep team like where he was playing in Florida, uh, where you can hide him more, I feel like he could still do his 20 goal thing and not be too much of a liability, but on a team like the Canadians where you've got the top line that dominates and then everyone else kind of has to figure it out for themselves there. He just, he can't, you know, hopefully he goes on a little heater around the trade deadline and they can find a place to put him where he's a little bit happier because it clearly isn't working out here and hasn't from the start. Um, But moving on from Hoffman, I think you mentioned something that kind of works really well into what I wanted to talk about next, which is uh, Joel Edmondson. But before we do, everyone watching right now, there's a ton of you here. Make sure you share this show right now. Grab the little share clip on YouTube. Take a second. Put it on your Twitter. Put it on your Facebook. Whatever. Get as many people here as we possibly can. It's fun. We'll have some more fun. We've got lots of show left. All right. So Joel Edmondson... I thought in his first game especially, he was doing a great job of anticipating plays and getting in the way. And to be honest, I think he looked the same this game in terms of anticipation. But once he got the puck, oh my god. (laughs) What the hell was that? That was brutal. It was bad choices. He He was making bad decisions. I think his instincts are a little bit off. You know, we saw that last year as well when he was out for a long time. Same thing happened this year. I'm not too, too worried about it because I do think that he tends to figure it out. But also last year he had his like his buddy and and somebody who he had built a lot of chemistry with. Whereas now we're seeing that they're going to throw him wherever they possibly can to find how effective he is with a bunch of people that he potentially hasn't played with before or not very long with before. So what I'm seeing honestly right now is rust. It's definitely mental though. It's not physical. Physically, he seems okay. I just, I feel like in the moment, maybe he's trying to think too fast, too hard. That's, that's the sense that I'm getting is that he's good at anticipating that he gets the puck and there's like, I don't even know if it's a panic moment. It's a brain fart moment. That's what it feels like. He had so, he had so many weird things that it's like, wow, that was a good shot on net where it can be deflected and put towards the goal. You know, that was a good read defensively. And then he's like, I'm just going to eat this right up the middle of the ice and hope it all works out. And it, it spoiler alert, it did <laughs> not work out well for anybody. And it's like Laura said, he's coming back, he's rusty, and he is playing a bigger role. And at the same time, though, it's like, man, you you kind of expect better from him. Like, I'm looking on natural stat trick right now. He ended up in the positives in terms of most, like, possession metrics, except for expected goals, which is uh, not a shock. But I, I do wonder, because it's like, usually he makes a safe play, and he's just like, what if I try this risky thing I've never done at all tonight? Luckily, Jake Allen was, six goals or not, Jake Allen was the best player on either team tonight, and I don't think uh, it would be really be up for debate at this point. Yeah, and there, there's a comment here uh says, I think we can give Edmondson a break considering he just came back. I completely agree, and I think all criticism of Edmondson's play tonight should be viewed through the lens of, I think they're trying to give him too much too soon. You know, like 
he physically looks great, and I feel like that almost worked against him. He looked so great in his first game that they were just like, oh, third pair? No, second pair, immediately. I think he should sit on the third pair with Jackai a little bit longer, even like 10 games, because they looked really good together. I feel like that physicality that they brought together, it also enables the third pair to take on a little bit more ice time. Because if there's one question that I have about Marty St. Louis' deployment this year, it's David Savard getting 25 minutes almost every night. And I know that part of it is to shield the young kids a little bit, but David Savard, despite the fact that he makes some like good niche defensive plays that are good in a vacuum, is probably the most limited defenseman the Montreal Canadiens ice. And I know he's playing way above his head, and it's unfair, but he should not be playing that much ice time. I feel like giving more to Harris and Gooley makes more sense. And like Kovacevic being out of the lineup, to me, that makes no sense. I think he's been great. I I I feel awful for like where Mike Hoffman is. He just can't buy a goal. David Savard is basically the Samwise Gamgee of this team. It's like, well, I'm gonna carry so much that I didn't ask for at this point. Yeah, and. It's not his fault. And I know people like Caden Gooley should be freed from him. And I'm like, I agree. Yes. Until Mike Matheson is healthy. I understand Martin St. Louis insistence on having David Savard out there. Yes. Should probably play less. If you're going to lose, go down swinging with the kids at least, but Savard's doing his best, but one to stop diving every single time that like someone gets close to the goal because they just skate around you. And I, it's like, I, you see it coming a mile away and at the same time, if Gooley's looking this sharp with a pairing that doesn't really fit his strengths, what's Caden Gooley going to look like when he's on a pairing with, you know, Mike Matheson or, you know, playing against lesser competition on a second pair or something like that in this season? And that's what kind of helps a little bit. And hopefully David Savard, you know, when they do get this lineup sorted out, uh, might actually play his role a little bit better, not blocking 15 shots a night and needing an ice bath after every game. It, it, again, asked to do way more than he was ever brought in to do at this point. And yeah. it's hard to fault him for that. But yeah, it, Martin Sandler, you are the coach. You can make that change at the very least. Laura? Oh, I just, I feel bad for him. Honestly, like I've criticized him so much and it's a hundred percent, a hundred percent the coaching staff. And, and it's, you know, I think Marty's trying to do his best with what he's got. And that's really, really, it, it puts everybody in a tough situation because now Marty's doing something that's a bad decision for the team. David Savard is being put in a position that is bad for the team and everybody's doing stuff that is bad for them. You know, meanwhile, I think that it just shows just how much better Caden Gooley is than we anticipated because he's doing the most while dragging this around, right? And again, like the problem is that I love David Savard and all I've said about him this season is bad things. And yeah. I don't mean like... I, I, and, and we've been criticized as well for, for being quote unquote unfair to him. I'm not the one who's being unfair to him. It's Marty. <laughs> and it, like here, I understand like the, like Marty's like what he's, where he's coming from, right? Like the reasoning is sound that he doesn't want to overexpose the kids, especially early in the season. He wants to give them as many games under their belt where like the veterans can take some of the reins, but I feel like he can just trust the kids a little bit more. It's not like we're, out here wanting the Montreal Canadiens to win 45 games this season. It's not in the cards anyway. So why don't they just let it go? It It's probably going to happen at some point, but also I'm at the point of like, how many vets are they going to be able to ice at a time? And I think Savard has earned his spot in the lineup at the very least at this stage. I'm not sold on Chris Weidman. You know, uh, Edmondson made that brutal play up the middle uh, on the first goal against, and obviously he made the bad pinch on the second one, but the, uh, the, I think it was the clinching goal. Uh, maybe it was goal number five. It wasn't the power play goal. So it was, yeah, it was goal number five for Vegas where Weidman kind of like was there, got confused with Jack Eye, and made what could have been a good move to like, back the puck backwards away from a Vegas player who they were both covering, 
but he didn't hit it hard enough and it just went exactly to the same spot as Edmondson's clearing attempt. And there's this huge gap between the forwards and the defense that created this amazing scoring opportunity that they cashed on for Vegas. It's stuff like that. And like Weidman just hasn't looked right all season long. I know that he's a good guy, but I just, I don't think that he should be in the lineup right now. It doesn't make much sense. We all thought he was like a six, seven, and then he just held on to that spot. And it's like, I, I, they wanted him to be a power play quarterback and he can pass the puck real hard. Cool. Uh, From a standstill. Yeah. And and this is not like Chris Weidman seems like a guy that they love in the locker room, that he gets along great with people. Same, as, same as Savard, really, right? They, they're both great guys that are very well loved in that locker room for good reason. I would just really like to see more Jonathan Kovacevic. And then you have guys like Corey Schooneman in the AHL. You have Matthias Norlinder, who's playing really well for the Rocket, despite their you know, record right now who are going to be coming up into this lineup soon that are going to demand that ice time. And in the way this season is going, do you really need to give it to Chris Weidman, who is what he is? Or do you want to see, okay, now that we're not going to bench Matthias Norlander for power plays and three on three overtime, what can he actually do in this offense when that day comes, which maybe I forgot Justin Barron in that whole thing as well. I knew I was forgetting someone. So it's, and this is not a slight on Chris Weidman. It's just you have other options that clearly are better for the team right now. Yeah. And I think there was a few comments here that pointed out as well. Everything is going to change quite a bit when Mike Matheson comes back. Obviously, he's going to be rusty as well, sitting out eight weeks with that uh, injury to the abdomen. But he is most likely, unless Caden Gooley takes another step, easily the best defenseman on this team. And we haven't seen him yet this year, which is crazy to think like how well the Canadians have been playing overall and how hard they've been playing teams like Vegas, who are legitimate contenders somehow, despite losing Max patch ready for nothing and having zero NHL goaltenders. Uh, you know, they're, they're great. And the Canadians have kind of kept pace with a lot of those teams. There's only been one game this season where I think they were running out of the building. And that was against Detroit. It it's wild. Like they're better than we expected them to be. And like Laura and I have said, like they're going to lose games. Like they look better. That's not a bad thing. They're still going to lose. They're going to win. And I think it was Sean Gentilly said it in the athletic is that they might be one of the best bad teams to exist, which you know what? That's fine with me because the top like seven in this draft is stacked with pieces they can use. And if I don't have to sit here and watch my eyes bleed watching Rem Pitlick on the top line play center, so be it. I would much rather have this than anything else. And we should say the the Florida Panthers are only two points ahead of them in the standings. That's kind of crazy. I just... I, the thing that I that, that blows my mind a little bit is that how people have kind of chosen sides and been like, no, you know, we need to be unhappy about the tanking, or if we say they're going to lose, then we're being too negative, or anything like that. And I'm like, this is generally, I think, supposed to be what the experience of a fan is like, right? Like over the course of a long season, you're supposed to have those good moments, you're supposed to have those bad moments, you're supposed to have the reality checks once in a while, and then you're supposed to be really excited when your team plays above its head, like. I don't understand why it has to be so binary to me. It's like, it's, it's a very, like it varies, but there's a balance. Like, and that's that to me, I'm like, why can't we just enjoy it? Why do we have to be mad when someone's upset about tanking or why do we have to be mad when somebody says a team's not going to be great all season? I think it's fine. I think this is exactly what we wanted. Like before the actual puck drop, this is what we kept saying we wanted and now it's happening and we're complaining. I think, you know, having good moments, having losses so that their draft pick continues to be in that, let's say top seven, like that to me is like the, the aim is top seven, but having those moments of, of positivity, having, watching these, these players blossom. Like, I don't understand why, why we, we can't just enjoy things. We don't let other people enjoy things. We don't even let ourselves enjoy things like as Habs fans. I feel like we should just we should chill out a little bit and just enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. I'm 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 trying to take like a very different track because like you guys know me, my way of approaching hockey and analysis like is like very critical, right? And I look at the numbers and I I try to break things down. What's going wrong? How can this team get better? But we're not really looking at this team in a way that we want them to get rapidly better. And I don't think 
the management structure is either. Like if there's a move out there that they can make that helps them for the next five years, of course they're going to do it. But in ter- in terms of being much better this year, that's not the plan, right? They would like the kids to continue improving. And that's really the be all end all for this season. It is a development year. And for those who say things like the NHL is not a development league, like, yeah, it is for the Montreal Canadiens right now. And I think, frankly, the teams that take that track that the NHL is not a development league are the teams that never amount to anything, right? If you're not developing at the same time as you're competing, you're not going to compete for very long. Your cup window will be very short. That's it. There's a shelf life, right? And like some of these players that end up in a cup run often get traded away because they've spent all the way to the cap and they need to, but if you have players that come in to replace those players, then you're looking at a Tampa Bay lightning type team as opposed to a team that wins once. And then you don't hear from them again. And I think that's what the Canadians want is that if they don't win, let's say they make it far in the playoffs, but they don't win. They want to be, they want to be able to know that they'll come back there next year or the following year or in the next five years, we're going to see another cup run. That's what I think they're aiming for. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with using the NHL as a development league when you are bad. Even when you're good, you can do that, right? Like if you aren't putting your players in positions to succeed, then what's the point? And and I understand that because right now, and I'm hearing this like in rumblings and I'm hearing this like on other podcasts or whatever, the big question of like, is Slavkovsky supposed to be sent to the AHL or not? I love that question because there's no right answer to it. And a lot of people think they know, like they criticize people and they're like, well, Slavkovsky played against men last year. And how could you think that he belongs in the AHL? And other people are like, how could you think he belongs in the NHL if Marty's only going to play him 13 minutes or whatever? I think that like these are things where like there is a legitimate debate. And I, I and I don't I don't know why we can't sort of be not be on the fence, but I don't know why we can't explore all the possibilities, right? Like whether they put him in the AHL or the NHL this season, I don't necessarily think that either one is the wrong choice. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things. There's nuance there, right? Like Slavkovsky, if it was the old regime, I would be saying AHL right away, even though they didn't really have a great track record in the AHL with developing players. But one thing that's different with this regime is when Slavkovsky is not on the ice for playing games, he's on the ice with Adam Nicholas, right? Getting skills development coaching one-on-one or one-on-three or whatever if a bunch of players are out there on the ice with him. He's getting actual improvements in his game game to game that we can visibly see as he adjusts to the NHL. So I don't think it would make much sense to, you know, throw him down to the American hockey league while he's actually getting some results as well. And we're seeing the improvement. I think uh, around the 40 game mark is when we'll see the big decision on Slavkovsky is because when he stays past that, then the Canadians lose a year of uh, restricted free agency with him and he gets to UFA one year earlier. I don't know if they're as worried about the contract because there's it's like a 50-50 thing, right? Having the contract slide means we get another three years after this one where Slavkovsky is on that cheap rookie deal, and maybe by the second or third year, they're starting to push for playoffs, and he's still cheap and effective. But if you sign his next deal earlier, it might be, two or even three million dollars cheaper per year if you go long term than if you would have waited an extra year you know what i mean it's that old caveat of should i bridge this person or should i pay them now and it do they it all depends on their timeline and like kent hughes and jeff gordon and martin saying that we everyone seems to have a time frame set for they have a forward-thinking plan they're not just going ah, shit, well, we're good now. I guess we're going for it. And by going for it, we're going to trade for, you know, Dwight King and Steve Ott. Uh, and that's important is they have foresight to kind of lock these things up and they're not going to do the, okay, we're going to bridge, bridge. Oh, we got to pay this guy. Well, let's trade him now. Or we're going to try and, you know, cheap at the table here. And with the whole AHL thing, like Laura said, there's not really a wrong answer. The Rocket are absolutely crying out for a guy with skill right now. And I think Slavkovsky would absolutely be that dude uh, in the AHL. And I think they would welcome that. And at the same time, like you said, if he's learning and growing at the NHL level and he doesn't look out of place, he doesn't look like Bambi on the ice, he's not playing six and a half minutes or being a healthy scratch for six games like Shane Wright. Why, why mess with that? 
you know, keep that going. It's it's a developmental season. We've got Doc, you've got Suzuki, you've got Caulfield, you've got Harris, you've got Cooley. Slavkovsky is part of that group that is supposed to get them back into being yearly contenders. Removing him from that takes him out, takes him out of that learning pool and these guys that he's going to be playing with for however many years beyond this one. And that's just as crucial to his development. Not that he wouldn't get the player coaches with the rocket and whatnot, but there's something to be said about being with the team and you getting that actual experience at the NHL level for him. 100%. The only thing for me is, is if the Laval rocket make the playoffs, that's the only, but they can still send them down. They just yeah, they can, that yeah. year. They'll paper yeah, them down have... at the trade deadline. Yeah, exactly. And, and then I get to laugh because it's like, ah, well, it'll be like sting coming out of the rafters. Only it's your Slavkovsky and he's going to dunk someone's head in the toilet and score five goals in a game or something. I don't yeah. know. But. Yeah, but Laval has to get it together first. This is true. Yeah, this yes. is true. I will say he is the only one outside of Monaghan that's giving, you know, somewhat consistent secondary scoring, which is another reason why they probably won't send him down because nobody else outside of the top line is getting anything done. So there's that for Slavkovsky. Okay, real quick before we talk about Mitchell Miller, because we got to talk about that horse shit garbage from the Boston Bruins. Uh, we'll just go real quick, Scott, and then Laura. The Anderson hit suspension or not, and how long? In my brain, that should absolutely be a suspension because it's the NHL and it's run by fucking idiots. He'll get a max fine or one game at the most, and I, I don't agree with it. Uh, for everyone screaming on Twitter, uh, I just make clips. Please stop yelling at me. It's dumb. It's pretty gutless oh he turned at the last minute he sees numbers the entire way no matter what he's going to hit him from behind he just happened to hit him from behind into the boards which is still garbage so if he gets more than a game I will be shocked based on the NHL's current precedent for literally anything uh but I also wouldn't be shocked if they were like well we have a high profile chance here and the Habs want to be bad here's 10 games because the NHL a bastion of consistency in everything that they do. I, I agree that it should be a suspension. I also agree with Scott that I don't have any faith in the NHL to do the right thing. I, I, it was obvious. It was bad. It was, it was not a good, it was like charging. It was, there's a whole bunch of stuff and it's like, there's something about Josh Anderson this season. He seems very um, unsettled and the way that he's dealing with it is, this and I don't like that um I you know I don't I haven't seen him as a dirty player up until this point I've seen him as the kind of guy who plays just inside the line so he bothers the opponents but he does not get into trouble but now he's clearly crossed that line and that's upsetting to me because like I feel like once you've done that that's it like you have crossed like there's no going back from that like we're gonna see a lot more garbage from him going forward I think and it's gonna justify the fans that hate him like from other teams so i don't like i'm very very displeased with josh's behavior he is grounded until further notice i just it was a bad hit i just i I feel like the nhl is just like not going to do anything about it though yeah i can see that happening i will say like uh like you're talking about with the whole inconsistency thing something happened in the leafs game tonight with i forget who the name of the player was because it was some nobody uh on the Bruins high sticked someone on the Leafs in the exact same way that Austin Matthews did last year where he got two games and Leafs fans were ripping and roaring about how the league is biased against the Leafs. And I've seen that same thing that Matthews did last year, like four times this year and no suspensions were given out. So yeah. if you were trying to send a message, maybe the but league is biased against the maybe league. it is. Let's not let them have that. Let's not let them have that. But if they were trying to send a message against like by suspending Austin Matthews for two games for that message, not received like it. No, it, you can't league, do something it, once and n- never follow through again. So I sure I think they should suspend Anderson for sure. It, it's I, I can see what he was trying to do. I think he was trying to come in from the side and he changed angle at the last second to try to like bring Petrangelo into the board sideways and Petrangelo turned, but no matter what, Josh, it was a charge. Like you he took had so many strides. That's the thing. He had control of what he was doing. He did. 
I think he wanted to put him into the bench and because Josh Anderson is very handsome and very dumb, uh, he ended up Claude Lemieuxing him instead. So like, I, I get it. Like, okay, I'm mad. I'm going to just launch this dude into his bench and, you know, go change, which fine. Sure. Except you didn't because you don't understand how physics work, which isn't a shock to anybody, but if the, like I said, if it's more than a game or if it's two games, I would be shocked. And I also wouldn't be shocked if the NHL was like, ah, band hammer time for a while, which means Michael Pizzette is in the lineup. Like, <laughs> so who knows ever what, what they're going to, what the NHL is going to do with this. The spinning wheel of justice, right? Justice. Gotta thank uh, down goes Brown forever for that one. <laughs> Breaking news. Jerkshire defends a filthy, dirty felony hit. How did I defend it? Okay. Come on. I didn't defend it. <laughs> I know what he was trying to do, but it was still reckless and stupid. He was trying to spark the team, right? And he cut corners in order to do that. Tried to lay a big hit in a space that it shouldn't have happened in the first place. And uh, bad move. But, I mean, to be fair, I guess it kind of did spark the team. They scored two goals after. But we don't need to (laughs) justify it any further. All right. uh, Mitchell Miller. Another thing that can't be justified. um, When you have Gary Bettman out there saying they never consulted us and he'll not he ba- he almost said he'll never play in the NHL like it's a pretty friggin bad look for the Bruins but I will one thing that kind of gets me a little bit is there's been lots of talk since the Bruins made this signing that a bunch of teams were in the mix to sign this kid and if a bunch of teams were in the mix even if the Bruins specifically didn't run run it by them Gary Bettman pleading that they didn't know anything about it is horse shit. There's no way. If I just turn my head over here, I can't see teams courting a kid who did a hate crime to his, you know, uh, mentally handicapped classmate for several years in which he did not apologize. I... I I explained this situation to Carly, who stays far out of hockey and all of its insanity, and she went, why isn't he in jail? And I went, that's a very good question. Why isn't he in jail? That's literally the only reason, because if you look at the stuff that he did, it is like there's some stuff that's criminal or that could be considered criminal. My whole thing is the way the Bruins went about this. So Don Sweeney has declined so far to speak to the media about it. They trotted out Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. To be Sweeney spoke yesterday. Oh, he, sorry. Where he I went, mean, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. And that was his big quote on this entire thing. Right. Like, well, that's what he's saying. But no, I mean, like, so like on Hockey Night in Canada today, they were talking about how, like, you know, they reached out and he hasn't responded. There were a couple of other outlets that were like, we reached out and he hasn't responded. Um, my whole thing is like they threw out Patrice Bergeron as like I know exactly what they were doing. Patrice Bergeron is an angel. He is one of those players that is considered one of the most classy, to use an NHL term, uh, you know, dignified, positive, good person vibes, whatever it is that you want to say. And they threw him out there to talk about it. And I thought I think that is incredibly cowardly. And it is incredibly unfair because Patrice Bergeron is not the one who made this decision. And that, to me, it's not the most egregious thing. The most egregious thing is that they actually signed Mitchell Miller. I just, I cannot, I cannot believe that's what happened. It's like, take this guy. It's like, it's like when the Chicago Blackhawks had a bunch of women, like, read out the draft pick last year after being, you know, it, yep. it just... It's so transparent and it's ugly. It makes it worse. It doesn't make it any better. And then like, I I thought, and this is a really positive thing, is that the NHL players themselves on the Bruins team spoke out about it. And this is, I think, it's it doesn't happen very often, right? They usually toe the party line. They spit out the cliches. They they get with the with the program. And this time they said they were uncomfortable with it in various forms, in various quotes. But all of this is all secondary to the fact that this man who committed a hate crime has shown no remorse thus far, according to the victim's mother. Now, I don't like people are like, well, we don't know what he did to learn. Like, we don't know what he did to like learn and grow and come back from it. And I'm like, up until last year, he was showing no remorse. 
he literally was showing no remorse. He was playing the victim. He was he his his words about it were very careful and they were not accepting responsibility for what he did. It was minimizing his own actions. And now this year, somebody contacted the victim's mother and said, has he taken responsibility and apologized? And she said, no. And that's the thing. It's like, how do you expect this man to grow and move forward if he does not take responsibility for this horrible thing that he did? It's like, it's, it's sustained hate crime it's not just one incident where it was like oh you know what like it was one one time it was continuous it was continuous torture of somebody like that's the thing that like it makes me it makes me so so upset like every time i remember this story it breaks my heart i think about the victim i think about the mother and all the bruins are doing are thinking about themselves and the stupid perpetrator of 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 this crime like it just i'm i'm so upset that i can't even talk right now like my job is to talk and i can't do it because it is really, really like it's horrifying. Like, just like ima- imagine that, imagine that's your child. You shouldn't have to, though. You shouldn't have to to have empathy for the victim. And so, I think if you have an ounce of that, how can you sign Mitch Miller if he has not taken the steps? If he has not truly and transparently and objectively shown that he has not he's he's become a better person that he's learned and grown. He has not. Like he hasn't yeah. even done the like on paper actions that Logan Mayu has. Yeah, it, it's garbage. It's the whole Bergeron thing. I can't imagine like the Boston Bruins all this summer. Like, come on, Bergey, come back one more year. The last dance for the Bruins core. Krejci's coming back. This is going to be our year. And then, like uh, also in, in the first month of the season, we're going to make you go and do an interview with Elliot Friedman and defend a racist, ableist abuser who we just signed to a contract, even though we talked to you about it beforehand and our core players who happen to be like this incredibly successful group who've developed this like unbreakable Bruins culture that has persisted now for over a decade said, why are you doing this? And we still went forward with it. Yeah. Go defend it on TV now. Now I do think that Bergevin or Bergeron's comment, sorry, that's a We're, Freudian slip. I know, I know, right? <laughs> it's going back to that, right? Because the Bruins <laughs> use the exact same excuse. Well, you know, other people were going to do it too. And the Canadians said that about Logan Mayu. Uh, you know, like, other people were going to draft him, so we had to take him. No, you fucking didn't! Have I, some and thing- pride. Have some standards. Just don't do it. Let somebody else make the mistake. You know? You don't have to be the one to make the mistake. It's They gave him brutal. a max contract. Because of this, he's max AHL salary for a rookie, max bonuses. That means, okay, obviously there were a lot of teams in there. And if people weren't gutless, you would name who those teams are. Because I know that you know, because we know that Boston courted him for weeks that he visited the city and toured the city with Don Sweeney. This was not a spur of the moment We've got a bunch of injured dudes. We'll take the PR hit and sign this kid because we need the bodies. You actively went after this. And this is not canceling someone because to be canceled, you had to have been scheduled in the first place. And the takes that, ah, well, if this was a smaller market, this would have worked out fine. It would have blown over. The Arizona Coyotes who play in a 5,000 seat arena because they don't have a home arena renounced his rights because of this. You can't, it doesn't, and this is not a slight of Coyotes fans. It is likely the smallest market in the NHL right now. And they went, this shit isn't worth it. Fuck this. He can go and do whatever. And they went and got rid of him. He went to North Dakota and they were like, nope, gone. And he went back to the USHL where his team's like, look at this great child that we have. He's player of the year as he's playing in a league that he shouldn't be in. And then blocked all their criticism of him. It's such a fucking slap in the face to, like you said, the culture that they built in that locker room. And yes, Zdeno Chara was an asshole on the ice, but he put an end to the rookie hazing things and actually built a culture in that locker room where we are going to bring people in and we are going to bring this team together. And you ask Patrice Bergeron, who is, and I hate to use the word classy because it's so overused. It is, but but it does apply to him. It does. It does. And Brad Marchand, who has had been a very open person defending LGBTQ people on Twitter and other things, and all these players, and you they, you ask them, they go, should we do this? And they all went, no, why would you do this? And then they go, 
well, we did it anyways. What message are you sending to them? That we, And it's not like this is some new guy here. This is Patrice fucking Bergeron, your team captain, one of the most storied players playing in the NHL right now. And we went, your opinion doesn't matter. We're going to do shit regardless because we think that's the right thing to do. Get the fuck out of my face. And then Don Sweeney goes out there and goes, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. <laughs> that's like the wild. It makes me wonder if this is Jeremy Jacobs pushing it. Because that's the other thing. Like, to get Gary Bettman to talk shit about the Boston Bruins, you got to you gotta fuck up pretty bad. You know, and this is an insane fuck up. But I, I like all the excuses they come out of. The people who go online and just freak out defending people like Mitchell Miller. Have you considered just not? And and just be a normal person and like, talk about a different hockey player. Yeah, why do, do you, you identify? Great with question, Laura. Why do you identify with him? Are you and, also an ableist, racist bully? Like, oh well, do you, I guess you were perfect when you were a fourteen-year-old. No, nobody was perfect, but I can tell you one thing: I didn't <laughs> like racially and uh, like ableistly, if that's the right word, attack and abuse a kid for years. For the people who think it was just one incident with the lollipop, it's not. It was for years. That this and it continued online. Him. They yeah. continued to do it after the police got involved. He stood in front of a judge in juvenile court where the judge looked at him in the face and went, you haven't shown a single ounce of remorse the entire time here. I, and yeah, no, I was not perfect at 14. Quite frankly, I was a shithead. You know what I did, though? I set off fireworks and stayed out late and snuck out and did dumb shit. I didn't do things that forced a mentally handicapped classmate of mine to get an entire STD panel to make sure that you did not give him HIV when you were bullying him. It's indefensible. And if you're defending this, it says so much more about you as a person. This is not cancel culture because he's not canceled. He got a fucking NHL contract out of this. It's yeah. also, yeah. Also great. to note that like the NHL commissioner was like, I don't know if he could play. <laughs> like, yeah, he that is off. like the one silver lining of what could happen here. Uh, I will say before I go there. Ian Bovair had a great comment saying enough of the second chance garbage. His second chance is not getting locked up, not having a criminal record because he was a minor and making a huge salary playing a game in front of thousands of people is not that. Yes, he doesn't deserve to play in the NHL. That's a privilege. Now, Gary Bettman is saying he can't play in the NHL. The AHL saying he might not be able to play there either because he signed a contract. He can't play in the NCAA either. Oh, no. they were the other people who were courting him. So the silver lining might be he gets his bonus and then he's done. Right. Because if the leagues won't let him play, where's he going to play? The ECHL? They'll probably fall in line with the AHL. Knowing him, he'd go, go to the to KHL. Russia. Yeah, go to yeah, Russia. Yeah, he'd probably go, go to go Russia. Over there. That's fine. Go over there. <laughs> go be over there. I have one hope out of all of this, and I think both of you knowing me long enough know that I'm not a big, let's have fighting and all this other stuff in the NHL. My only hope is that anytime this kid takes the ice is that his life is made as if whenever that is, if that is at all. And I'm hoping it's never, to be quite honest, is that if he takes the ice, you put him into the boards, make his life as miserable as you can. He doesn't want to fight. I don't care. You send that kid packing as quick as he can. You don't deserve to be in this league. A lot of players likely don't, and that's not the point. Just he should not have a moment's peace during any of this. I'm not, you know, a big hunt guys down and make them fight, but you can't tell me that you don't want to see someone like Arbor Jack. I get his hands on this kid and just turn him into a puddle. Well, I was thinking like Ryan Reeves beating the brakes off of him. You know, you get your one, your one day contract to play. Guess what? It's against the Rangers and Ryan Reeves is on the top line for some reason. Oh, that's why (laughs) it's Ryan Reeves playing 40 minutes a game. And then he could do the same thing he did for Tom Wilson. He could sign the photos of him kicking the shit out of him. (laughs) <laughs> i mean put it on a t-shirt fuck i'll buy that i don't I, care i like, would pay a hundred dollars for that t-shirt if it ever happened uh, you know it, it, it's it's just the thing is like i i i don't understand how somebody can do that for years like how how much of like you lack empathy completely like what what is what are your parents like like oh his parents are terrible right like you should read the quotes from his mother and you'll see exactly why he has never done a wrong thing in his life 
He has never done anything wrong in his life. They just go, ah, he's, they have tried to paint him as the victim in all of this. And that, well, he tried to reach out. Just because he tried does not mean they have to accept his apology or believe it's genuine. Because quite frankly, it's fucking not. Also, his apology was on no Instagram. Obligation. Yeah, like the, his, his victim is under no obligation to either listen to him, pick up his calls, read his messages, accept his apology. Absolutely. Whether or not he reached out is irrelevant. And that's Sorry. the thing, like, a, there's a lot of talk about an apology. I don't care if he apologizes. Like, he's... It's... Even if he do, does apologize, like, clear, he tried to reach out through Instagram on the eve of signing an H, NHL contract, right? Like, clearly <laughs> it was a go apologize and we'll sign you kind of thing, right? That's, and he said it's not about hockey. Yeah, it's not about hockey, I swear to God, but still he was, like, minimizing what he did, right? Making it all about, like, the one incident, whatever. Yeah. I washed the lollipop, whatever bullshit, but he has to, fu- I, I he has to do the so lollipop. much more work than just apologizing to even be deserving to breathe the same air as a regular person. It, it is ridiculous. Like what the descriptions of what he did to that poor child are monstrous, monstrous. And it's not like the family is being unreasonable because other people who were involved have actually reached out and been forgiven. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is that is that, you know, the victim's mother has thankfully been very vocal and I'm glad that she's being given the respect and the platform uh, by the media so that we also get a picture of, of what happened, because it'd be very easy if she wasn't somebody who wanted to deal with this kind of stuff for the Bruins or for Mitch Miller or his family to paint a narrative, the fact that she's poking holes in it and she's being given the platform to do so, I think is a good thing. I just feel like, why should you ever have to? Like, why should you be in a position where somebody did this to your child and now you have to tell the entire world what this guy did? Because otherwise, he's going to go on to have this lucrative, like, dream career. You know what I mean? Like, playing in the NHL is not just a privilege. It is the ultimate. It is a pinnacle. It's a dream. Like, you make a lot of money. There's a lot of perks involved, right? And the fact that, like, sh- like this whole thing exists and she has to come out and, like, say, like, this is what happened, I think is just... I just... I can't, I can't believe that somebody did that. Like, anybody did that. I've seen bullying and I've seen, you know, you, you hear about things, you hear about abuse, you hear about bullying, but, like, to that level and that that frequency and that length of time, like, that that's not even you know like I, I just I can't and and you know when people say like oh you make mistakes and stuff like that like yeah like sometimes you do make mistakes like sometimes you know like I used to smoke behind the gym without with my friends you know that was like my, my mistake as, as a 14 year old I thought I was so cool and I had bad haircuts and terrible outfits those were my mistakes as a kid like I didn't racially abuse anybody I didn't like you know and so that that to me is just like it's so unfathomable to most of us, I think. And and the fact that we're even having a conversation about this because the Bruins fucking signed him. I, I, can't, I can't. I'm so incredulous. It is. It is wild. There's a great point here brought up by Noel, and I'm just going to paraphrase. But uh, as much as this might feel like it's over for Mitchell Miller, it's not over for Isaiah Myers Crothers. He still has nightmares. His mom talked about it recently. Like, it is not over for him. The torture has not ended. He still has effects from it. So, the fact that we're, that anybody is willing to give this kid a second chance while he's still suffering, it's fucking unacceptable. And I, I did an interview with a kid who's in college a couple days ago, but he wanted to talk to me about hockey culture. And he was, his last question that he asked me was if I thought that, uh, things were going to change like relatively quickly because of things like hockey Canada and Kyle beach. And my answer at the time, which has aged very well, apparently in a couple of days was that until the people in power actually think like we do in these kinds of instances, no, it's going to take a while. We're probably got another 10 to 15 years of rooting these people out of positions of power. Like the people that talked to Kevin Paul DuPont who said that, you know, if it was a smaller media market where fans are less engaged, you might be able to get away with this. As if Arizona didn't rescind the pick. As if the reaction wasn't 
just in Boston. Like, I will say, I I am very pleased to see the way that Bruins fans reacted. There's very little defending of this. There's always a few idiots, but like, it wouldn't matter what market signed him. It's it's indefensible. It is. It's and the thing is because we like I talked to the people who write for the Bruins SB Nation site because the Canadians like we went through this with you know to a certain extent with the whole Logan Mayu picking and then signing to an entry level deal and this is even beyond more even reprehensible beyond an already bad act and it's like he you know do all these people you're going to get shitty people who are going to be in your emails and in your mentions who are going to call you every slur and name in the book yep you are still doing the right thing when you call this bullshit out because if you stay silent that's keeping the status quo of what hockey has been for so long call the bullshit out because the longer people stay silent who can make an actual impact at it whatever level it, it just keeps the bad things going if no one says anything they're going to keep doing it. Yeah. It's like Hockey Canada has fucking, what, three, four slush funds that they use to cover up things. And there's probably more that's going to come out as this continues. You can't stay silent. And I understand it's hard to speak up depending on who that is. But we ha- that is a whole hockey thing. Like the hockey community as a whole, keep calling this bullshit out. Because it's the only way that sooner or later they either got to take notice or people just stop giving a shit about the sport and move on to something else. And then it hits them in the wallet and then they magically give a crap. So it's, it's so indefensible. It's reprehensible that telling people who don't tune into hockey or know anything about this, what this whole thing is about and watching their reactions go, what the fuck is just the most heartbreaking thing. I want people to like hockey. I don't want anyone to get sucked into the culture of what this sport has been for ever basically it's disgusting on so many different levels and this is just another another step in that direction like it's it's awful and it's gross and i i don't know what else you can say about it yeah i, I will say speak to that yeah go sorry for it, Laura. i want to speak to that for a little bit because i mean scott and i obviously we were covering the habs and the draft when they picked Belgin mayu and you know, we've been talking about it and people are always making comparables, right? Like, like, oh, the sexual assault of Kyle Beach wasn't as bad as what the Habs did or the, you know, the Hockey Canada thing isn't as bad or Logan Mayu isn't as bad as, you know, all of that stuff. Like, I would urge people not to use comparables because even though it's all on a spectrum and there's different levels of it, they're all all symptoms of the same thing, which is not respecting the dignity of your fellow human being, whether you are racist or ableist or sexist, or, you know, you commit um, the type of sex crime that Logan Mayu did versus the type of sexual assault that happened with the world juniors team. All of those things means you are dehumanizing your victim. If you have the same level of respect for everybody equally, none of those things would happen. So it is important. Yes, it is important to talk about what this person did, or it is important to call out misogyny. It is important to call out even ageless slurs on your Twitter timeline. It is important to talk about this. And I know it's hard. Like, we've been attacked for doing it. We've had to deal with a lot of flack. And now Bruins fans, Bruins writers, a lot of media for speaking out about this. They're going to get the same kind of flack that Scott talked about. There's going to be people in your mentions. There are going to be people emailing you. There are going to be people that come after you. But it's important to demonstrate and to no longer be silent for fear of that kind of retribution. Because that's what we've done for a long time. I myself sometimes... I can't deal with it. I can't deal with all the misogyny in my inbox. So sometimes I just refrain from the conversation. I just like excuse myself from the conversation. But as a whole, when we can, we have to try and talk about it. We have to amplify the voices because I think that for too long, people think that this kind of thing doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter if this guy sexually assaulted somebody because he's good at hockey. Those people have been allowed to believe that their way of thinking is normal and correct and we're the minority and that's not true. We need to show them that this is not normal. This is not okay and there's something wrong with you if you don't have a problem with it. And I think we should all talk about it, whether we have small platforms or big platforms. And I know it's hard 
I know, like I've been bullied offline so many times because I have opinions like this. And I think that, you know, at the same time, I know that sometimes, even though I stay silent, I try and amplify voices. And sometimes I speak out and I have to deal with the consequences. Because if you believe that it's okay for somebody like Mitch Miller to have done this and then continue to have a hockey career without actually doing the growth, then there's something wrong with you, not me. 100% Laura. Perfectly said. All right. I will, before I close things out, I want to direct people uh, to two places. First of all, in regards to this whole thing, uh, go to Twitter and check out Chanelli37, two L's in Chanelli. Uh, she is an advocate for uh, people with disabilities in hockey, having access, all that. And she's a gigantic Bruins fan, hence 37. And watch her video on this because. I will be completely honest with you guys. It made me tear up how heartbroken this was because somebody mentioned in the chat that like sports is very personal and it feels like a betrayal. Imagine being Chanel, who is not only a Bruins fan, but has worked with them on outreach for people with disabilities, has worked with NHL teams on this, and then to turn around and see that, to sign somebody who's made years abusing somebody with disabilities it's fucking gross so watch her stuff follow her on twitter because she's fantastic and also unrelated to this but i can't not say it go on twitter and check out at o-n-t-e-d workers and if you can if you have the means please support the striking education workers in ontario because we need to shut that shit down what the Ford government is trying to do. You look around this country right now and what conservatives are trying to do, break public systems so that they can privatize. It's blatant as fuck. So support the striking education workers. They are who keep our kids, you know, going, you know, talk about people with disabilities. They're the people who allow those kids to have a real education that support teachers it's, it all comes together. And uh, thank you, Laura and Scott, for going through this uh, with me. I, it's an extra long episode, so I'm sorry for people who are thinking it was going to be a quick 35 minutes. But uh, thanks for sticking with us tonight. And make sure you subscribe to Locked on Canadians. Follow Laura at The Active Stick on Twitter. Follow Scott Matla at Scott Matla on Twitter. Thank you both for being here. If you have anything other than those things to plug, of course, check out Hab's Eyes and the Prize. Uh, let me know, and then uh, we'll close things out. Scott was uh, on the I, Tony Marino podcast. Oh, yeah, the sick podcast. Pat O'Hayon, but... <laughs> yeah, I did that last night, and I'm sitting there going, ah, okay, cool, the Rocket are losing. I can definitely get to this show on time, and then they go to fucking overtime, because of course <laughs> they do. And then they lost, so it's not even worth it, but um, yeah, uh, I will also be flying solo for most this week on Lockdown Canadian, so if you love the dulcet sounds of my voice in your ear holes uh make sure you're checking that out uh laura's going on a much needed vacation and i will do that at some point in the near future and if i don't cyber bully me so <laughs> yeah make scott take his time off he doesn't do it so I, i've taken <laughs> to bullying him um and also in like enlisting his girlfriend to bully him uh i will be on a couple of the episodes this week because we're pre-recording them but scott will be flying solo for the majority of it all right. Thanks, guys, so much. And uh, somebody out there, remind Scott to drink some water while Laura's on vacation. <laughs> There's water in whiskey. It's fine, I think. No. All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for watching Game Over Montreal. We'll be back with you, I believe, on Tuesday and Wednesday next week, back-to-back -back games. Uh, obviously an emotional one, but uh, we'll see you then.